Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. Some of my favorite stories are stories involving people that kind of lift themselves up out of their points of origin along the way. People that come from rural backgrounds. Folks that may have stories involving homes that didn't have running water, indoor plumbing, but yet they wind up being successes. Today I want to talk to you about Linda Collins. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. My friend Jackie Howard, executive producer of Crime Stories for Nancy Grace, is going to tell us today a little bit about Linda Collins. Jackie, what do we got? Joe, Linda Collins was an Arkansas state senator, and she was beloved. Everyone who spoke about Linda Collins mentioned that she was passionate about politics and passionate, passionate about the area that she represented. When family and friends had not heard from Linda for over 24 hours, her family went to the home, her son specifically, and found her body under a tarp at the end of the driveway. Obviously, the state that the body was found in indicated that foul play happened. And Joe, we know with any investigation, as Nancy Grace has taught us all through the years, you start looking at the closest people to the victim and then work your way out. Well, one of the closest people to this victim was her ex-husband, and they had a very contentious divorce. So when an investigation starts, Joe, we start with the loved ones. Yeah, we do. And, you know, to put it kind of in investigative parlance, you know, one of the terms that we use is 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 called intimates. And, you know, and when you hear that term, it's got various connotations for different people. But intimates for us are those people that indwell your little universe. I mean, you know, for all our listeners, you know, think about the people that you come in contact with day after day. The most contact, most of us at least, are going to have or the most frequent contact are those individuals that are most familiar with us. They're going to know our comings and goings. They're going to know the life that we lead. You know, even things like down to the minutes, like, well, you know, I know what time my wife or my husband is going to leave the house to go to work. You know, so you have those kinds of details that, say, random strangers would not normally have privy to. And that's that's why it's so important. You know, when when Nancy talks about you're going to look at people and, you know, in their immediate circle, that term's used a lot as well. You have to vet each person along that continuum and then you kind of work your way out. And the way I describe it to my forensic students and when I'm teaching things like homicide investigation, that sort of thing, you imagine that the body, you imagine that the body is the hub, the hub of a wheel. Imagine an old wagon wheel and that you you start what's called concentrically, which means right in the center. And then you kind of expand out further and further and further until you find a point of interest along there that kind of interests you, you know, that kind of catches your attention as an investigator. And then you begin to work that little thread and try to see what information you can come up with. So what seemed to be the issue in this divorce was money. Each side claimed the other was mismanaging, mishandling, hiding money. How do we go about finding out the truth, Joe? You know, a lot of folks, you know, when they hear people like me talk, Jackie, you know, they 
and they think forensics, they always think, you know, bloody crime scenes. They always think things like uh, uh, studying blood stains and post-mortem intervals and all those things I talk about because that's kind of the area I work in. You know, one of the biggest areas in forensics, one of the things that where people can really do well for themselves is forensic accounting. And it is a need that occurs over and over and over and over again. And in Miss Collins' case, the divorce that she was going through was very contentious, as you as you mentioned. And one of the kind of points along the way was uh, her husband, who is former judge, was actually arguing that she was hiding uh, marital funds from him. I, I think it was like in the range of about fifty thousand dollars so that he didn't have access to it, you know, so that that couldn't be calculated in the divorce. So when you're looking at this sort of thing, you have to have somebody that understands accountancy that can go through and look at things like deposits and withdrawals, and they can try to get an idea as to where hidden money might be. Because, you know, even though divorce is a civil matter, when you're told by the court that you have to stand and deliver with all of your monies that that has to be open for the court to examine. When you begin to hide things, that's when you get over into the criminal court because that becomes criminal offense. You're in contempt at that point in time. Well, in actuality, Joe, the legal battle that Phil and Linda, Phil is her ex-husband, were fighting over, it was assets worth over a million dollars. Yeah, when you've got that much money on the line, how... Other things in life uh, begin to be diminished in value. You know, people start to look at, you know, well, I might not kill you for $50,000, but I'm going to start to think about it at a million. You know, and so as investigators, those are the types of things we're looking for because, you know, you have to think, you know, you'd mentioned where Miss Collins' remains were found. Who who could actually do something like this? Who would have this much anger toward her to essentially discard her mortal remains, you know, on the surface of her driveway, but yet they take time to wrap her body up, or as I like to refer to it in, uh, uh, from a forensic standpoint, it's cocooning of the body, but yet they didn't go to the trouble to actually hide the body. They just cocooned her and left her out there on the surface of that driveway. We all think that when you're working a crime scene that it's very tedious work because, as you have pointed out, lots of times you can't miss anything. But I would have to imagine that doing a forensic accounting, crunching numbers, that would have to be a little bit more meticulous. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, it, you know, in forensics, we're, we're, we have a variety of different personalities. You know, I'm kind of a a broad macro kind of person looking at, I look at details, but I look at, at broader things, but there's three, three areas in forensic practice that it's always got, it's tedious for me. I couldn't do it. I don't have, I don't know if I have the mental power to do it, but that's accountancy uh, and uh, computer forensics. You have to be very detailed and uh, believe it or not, latent print examiners, uh, because you spend a lot of time focusing on very, very small micro details. And and therein, you know, rest the crux of your case. Um, and it it takes a certain mentality to be able to do it. As a matter of fact, you know, teaching my students, I'd uh, often compare those three groups of people in forensics uh, to uh, watchmakers. 
because it requires such fine skill in order to be able to kind of suss out what's going in going on in, in in those environments and to put it into the overall context this show is sponsored by better help years ago when i got out of my field full time i was diagnosed with ptsd i had sleep disorder I had depression, and for me, I had to turn to someone to talk to, somebody that could aid me along the path to healing, to restore me to that person that maybe I was at one point in time, to make me better for not just myself, but my family. If you're thinking about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient flexible, and suited to your schedule. You can do this anytime that you like. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash bags today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com slash bags. You know, it's one thing to find out that your mama or your daddy has passed on as a result of some kind of natural cause, but I, I just, Jackie, I just can't even begin to fathom what Linda Collins' son, Butch, was going through that day when he saw this tarp laying out there on the driveway, and he had this odor that hit him. It's almost unfathomable. When Linda's son found her body, he said that the first thing he saw was her blonde hair sticking out from under the tarp. Knowing now that her body had been under that tarp for a period of time, what would he have found, Joe? Well, I, you know, one of the most striking things when you come across a, a human remain like this, and most of the time it's not it's not going to be a police officer that does this, somebody that's kind of, uh, it's not necessarily callousness, but after you have, done this for for a while you do begin to develop a um, more of a of an objective view of these cases we're talking about somebody that's emotionally vested here we're talking about her son butch and when he saw her uh on that surface and you make a good point here jackie where you're talking about the blonde hair was protruding he he knew it i mean we think about our family members and we know those little fine details and then, you know, one of the things that you hear from family members that encounter something like this is that they are almost sucker punched by nature, if you will, the reality of what's going on, because you have this vile smell, you're inhalating the smell. And then on top of that, one of the things that, that he had gone on to mention uh, was the fact that there were flies. And... That is a horrible, horrible image to have to deal with. But when we think about uh, medical legal death investigation, we go back to those flies and we begin to think, you know, what what can those flies tell us? All right. They told Butch something in particular. He, they told him that his mother had passed on or who he believed was probably his mother there. They wound up having to get her ID scientifically. But for us as forensic investigators, those flies are very valuable because it goes to a life cycle. 
you know, where we have eggs. And, you know, sometimes the, you know, we, you can kind of opine that, um, you know, a female fly will lay, you know, maybe a hundred, hundred eggs. They will lay these eggs on a body like this and generally a moist area. And then they begin this cycle. And what we can do forensically is that we can tie back to points in time relative to the development of these, of, of these flies, you know, from, from egg to maggot, uh, to, you know, uh, going into the pupil stage. And then, you know, when we have a, an adult fly that, that, uh, that emerges, you have a specific marker in time, and that gives you an indication as to how long an individual would have been down. Now, this is further, this is further magnified in this particular case because you're in the south in the summer. We're talking about Arkansas. I think her remains were actually found on June the 4th. So uh, we're talking about very warm weather. And then to uh, to even make this uh, uh, more intense, the fact that she was covered. Remember, I used the term cocooned. Uh, there is, when you have a body that is decomposing, it's actually... Um, generating uh there's there's heat that's being generated in this cocooned state it's not open to say wind blowing over maybe cool maybe slow down you know the process a little bit it's actually being accelerated and then we all know what surface of a of a driveway feels like in the summertime it's hot that heat transfers and as we've talked previously on body bags heat Heat actually speeds up any kind of biological process. So the hotter it is, relative humidity, uh, you know, these flies are showing up, uh, you're going to have a mess on your hands. What you're describing there, Joe, plays into the determination of how Linda Collins died. Originally, we were told that she was shot, but that really wasn't the case. What caused the confusion? Well, it, it goes back to decomposition. Um when you're looking at a remain, a human remain, and uh, you're seeing what we refer to as, and, and listen, I want people to understand this very clearly. When you begin to see an injury on a body, it's rare that any of us in forensics, you'll hear people that will use terms like stab wound or gunshot wound. I never use those terms when I'm at a scene. First off, I don't, I wasn't there. I didn't see it happen. So the term that we generally use is a term called defect. And what that means um, is that there is uh, an opening, essentially, in the body um, that I don't know the origin of. Because actually, I've seen insect activity create defects in a body, uh, believe it or not. Um, and this happens with great frequency. And also, the other thing, if there is a trauma-related defect, let's say back to the stab wound or the gunshot wound, what will happen is that the flies, as they begin to set in and they lay their eggs in these moist areas, the maggots develop. They have to have a source of energy, so they begin feasting. And when they do, they change. They actually change, if you can believe this, the nature of the injuries themselves. So when you're at the scene, first off, you're in a very compromised position out there, poorly lit, um, it's, uh, you've got eyes, you know, on the scene that are looking at you, what you're doing, you're not in a controlled environment. So when you begin to look at those injuries on the body, 
your default position many times is to say, yeah, this looks like a gunshot wound. And then suddenly when you drop that information, all the people that are surrounding that scene begin to take that information and it's disseminated without further scientific explanation. So it's always important. It's imperative, actually, that we wait till we get the body to the morgue where we've got a controlled environment. We've got great lighting. We've got x-ray uh, x-ray capability. And then we make the diagnosis after we have assessed the injuries. We just don't, our default position should not just automatically be gunshot wound. Okay. Uh, because it, it's very hard to make that determination at the scene, something that you can scientifically hang your hat on. And it's very dangerous because this is the problem. Let's say for instance, uh, you've got a stab wound as opposed to a gunshot wound. Well, now, if you take that thread, that piece of investigative information that you have stated at the scene, now you're sending the investigators out on a wild goose chase looking for somebody that's carrying a gun. And that's not the case at all. You're also spending time at the scene looking for things like spent ammunition casings. Well, there might not have been a weapon involved that would have been ejecting ammunition casings. So that's a problem. So you have to be very, very careful in what you say. So the surface area of Linda Collins' body was damaged from the initial injury and then again from the insect activity. So investigators had to take her body back to the morgue and do an in-depth, I don't know, incision of this area for them to be able to determine that she was actually stabbed. So what they found was what, Joe? Yeah, what what they would have found, first off, they would have done x-rays because x-rays see through everything. And I'm not saying that uh, that's, that's kind of an obvious statement. But, you know, when you begin to think about that capability, uh, that, that piece of technology that you have at your disposal, if you're looking for a gunshot wound, for instance, if you're looking or you think that it's a gunshot wound, and you x-ray the body, one of the things you're going to look for when you take a look at that x-ray, everybody that's ever been x-rayed before, you had a broken bone or sprain or something, the doctor puts that thing up on the on the board and you can see your bones and that sort of thing. One of the things you look for uh, with, uh, with gunshot wounds, for instance, is many times what we refer to as a lead storm. Uh, as that bullet tracks through the body, it might clip a bone, uh, particularly if you've got multiple gunshot wounds and little fragments of of the lead, the lead projectile began to kind of peel off and you'll get these little dots because lead is what's referred to as radio opaque. So they begin to show up They're They're white, you know, a contrast against that, that kind of dark or gray x-ray image. And so it really stands out. So all of a sudden, and then of course, not to mention you're looking for the intact projectile and that's going to really show up on x-rays. And so when you're, you've got this severely decomposed body and you begin to look at these x-ray images and all of a sudden you're scratching your head there and you're thinking, Oh my Lord, I I don't see, I don't see any radio opaque bodies within the remains. I don't see the little lead storm that may occur along the wound track. I'm not seeing anything at all that resembles this. What are we dealing with? And that's the point in time where you can begin kind of logically to check gunfire-related injury off of your list, but it's important to go back and take a look at the external 
injury. You know, what, what you think is this point of origin, the entrance versus the exit wounds and all these sorts of things. And so when you look at that and you begin to really dive down into this, um, the wounds, the actual injuries, the in, the entrance wounds, they don't marry up with a traditional gunshot wound. You begin to see things that where the margins are kind of linear. And when I say margins, I'm talking about the borders of the injury. They're, they're kind of linear. Um, and that may have been compromised, of course, by the fact that you've got decomposition going on. Um, so you have to be very, very careful. And, you know, it's almost counterintuitive because, you know, us in forensics, we're, we're human beings, too. You don't want to have to spend any more time around a decomposing body than you have to. But here's the rub, and this is what kind of separates us from everybody else that thinks they want to work in forensics. When you're in a room with a decomposing body, you're going to find out how badly you want this job, how badly you want to do well at it, because you're going to force yourself to take your time, ignore all the horrors of decomposition and focus on those injuries because you don't know what is riding on this. You don't know if you've got a killer that's roaming around the neighborhood, but you have to set that aside and focus in on the injuries so that you can actually assess them. Yeah, I got to tell you, Jackie, you know, after after you spend all of this time examining examining these remains, you finally come to conclusion and, and they well did up in up in Arkansas. They came to the conclusion we're not dealing we're not dealing with a multiple gunshot wound case. We're dealing with a multiple stab wound case, Jack. As we talked about at the beginning of the program, Joe, we looked at intimates and money. And in the end, that's exactly what this case came down to. Yeah, you know, as as this thing begins to unwind from an investigative standpoint, you begin to realize that there's this this woman that's kind of got a questionable past that that uh, Miss Collins had hired uh, to work on her campaign staff, a lady by the name of Rebecca Lynn O'Donnell, and uh, she had become very close friends with with Miss Collins. As a matter of fact, she had become you know we talked about intimates. She had become so close with Miss Collins that during the course of this, you know, uh, brutal divorce that Linda was going through, O'Donnell actually came to court and testified on Linda Collins' behalf in, in the midst of this contentious divorce. Can you imagine? Uh, it's one thing to go through a divorce and you have to go through these hearings. Can you imagine going through a divorce proceeding like this and the person at the other table is a former judge. I mean, that that's a bit overwhelming. So they were close enough that Miss Collins felt like that O'Donnell, uh, that she could stand up under questioning for perhaps that she was that close. She was in her intimate circle. And, and so it's not necessarily all of the time when you're beginning to look at people that it's going to be a blood relation or somebody that you're you know married to. Well, you're right, Joe, about how close these two women became. They vacationed together, and people who knew them said they were together all the time, that they were like sisters. They were, and you've, you know, you've got these, these uh, 
uh, these photographs of them uh, where they're both smiling and they're they're happy. You know, they're 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 they have what appears to be at least a common goal. And of course, that was to, you know, to to advance uh, Linda Collins political uh, political career. Um, and O'Donnell uh, was there as a campaign worker. I think she was you know, she may have been making about 10 bucks an hour, but she was all in on helping Linda. And I think as it turned out, you know, O'Donnell began to see, uh, began to see, uh, Linda, um, as a source of funding. And I don't mean funding in a good way. I'm talking about, uh, getting into her bank accounts and this sorts of thing to take money from her. Ultimately, those forensic accountants that we talked about in the beginning found a very clever trail that led back to O'Donnell. She had been forging, among other things, forging Linda Collins' signature. You know, and that that brings in another practice within forensics, and that's uh, what's referred to as question document examination. Uh, we also call it forensic document examination, and it's a it's a particular skill set that individuals have. Um, and you know, the, these same people uh, in forensic practice are the folks that will uh, that will take a look at, say, alleged counterfeit. Uh, money. Uh, they'll look at deeds. They'll look at wills. And, you know, the, the crux of it, um, and I encourage anybody that that's interested in, in this to check out uh, Professor Osborne, who's the father of modern uh, handwriting examination, actually worked on the Lindbergh baby case uh, and wrote the definitive text. And his his big focus, particularly at that time, remember, we weren't in a digital world at that time, was taking a look at forged signatures. And in this particular case, Miss O'Donnell had been taking checks that were drawn on Linda Collins' accounts and had been forging her signature. And there's any number of ways that you can kind of take a look at this uh, from an investigative standpoint. And one of the one of the ways that you do this um, is that if you have a suspect in, in a case of forgery, like in this particular example, you would ask them for what are referred to as exemplars. And uh, the investigators will say, okay, for instance, um, write, write this name out uh, 10 times. And the individual will begin to write the name out 10 times, say, for instance. And you might can try to disguise your writing one or two times and get it close. But this is what happens, Shacking. It's fascinating is that your brain has a default. You know, ever since we were little, little bitty and we were learning how to write our, our default position with our brain and kind of our, uh, our motor skills, uh, have this kind of ingrained. So to be a really good forger, it's something that has to be practiced over and over and over and over and again. The reason these people get caught is that always at the end of the day, their true handwriting style rises to the top. Joe, the accounting evidence was not all that led to O'Donnell's arrest. Surveillance video played a part in this as well. Yeah, it did, Jackie. And I got to tell you, as horrible as these things are that that we've talked about here uh, with uh, with Linda Collins remains and how they were treated. I, I think for me, as you know, as I was looking back over this case and reviewing it, 
one of the things that is absolutely bone chilling is the fact that the police actually recovered videography from Linda Collins' home. And it was Miss O'Donnell actually taking what appeared to be at least a bloodstained knife. And she's almost got a smile on her face. You can see it. It's, it's there. It's faint. And she's got blood on her hand and she's placing this knife into a bag, sequestering it. And you know, you know, you can kind of superimpose what you think she's doing uh, because it's immediately uh, apparent that she's going to walk out the door with this knife. But one of the things that was so chilling that they captured on this videotape is that you could hear screaming. You could hear screaming prior to that image. And I, this case impacted me in that sense when I began to review it because I was thinking the horror that Linda Collins suffered. One of the other contentious points in this divorce between Collins and her husband, the judge, was that there was missing gold and silver. Later, it became known that Rebecca O'Donnell was accused of selling gold and silver that she reportedly got from Collins. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about selling gold and silver is it, it's very difficult to, you know, kind of unload, if you will. Uh, generally, the, uh, the practice of doing something like this is that you're either going to take gold and kind of squirrel it away in a safety deposit box. Um, maybe you you have a gold broker, somebody that you could uh, negotiate with. But for most of the time, most of the time, you're either going to sell it uh, to maybe a jeweler, but nine times out of 10, you're going to go to a pawn shop with it. And um, just so our listeners know, many times with uh, with police investigative agencies, there are actually divisions within uh, criminal investigation division that do nothing. And I mean nothing but uh, follow down leads at pawn shops, because many times that's a perfect opportunity for somebody to fence or to try to make money off of stolen goods. So all of these things, Joe, were pulled together by police to develop a case against Rebecca O'Donnell, and she received a lengthy prison sentence. Yeah, and I, I think that when O'Donnell was faced with all of this this information, you know, it, it was it was almost like a uh, a perfect recipe uh, for the prosecutors because you know she was she was staring down the barrel of. Uh, of being executed. This was, this is a capital offense. You know, they, they knew that, you know, this was surrounding a criminal ongoing criminal enterprise uh, with Ms. Collins, which many times is one of the elements of capital offense. You know, if you're in commission of felony uh, where, and, you know, let's face it, O'Donnell saw Ms. Collins as her own personal bank. You know, she's, she's taking, taking this woman, this, this poor woman that's going through this horrible divorce She's taking advantage of her trust at this moment in time. And as it turns out, uh, O'Donnell finally uh, saw the light and she admitted to everything. And of course, as a result of this overwhelming evidence, you know, we have the body, we have the bank transactions, we have the theft, the ongoing theft and deception. It was too much uh, for O'Donnell to, to try to defeat in court. And she pled out. She pled out. She, she stated that she did, in fact, murder Miss Collins 
And of course, now she's cooling her heels in jail for the next 50 years. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.